Because of how Colton Haynes looks, you know, that chiseled face, his square jaw, because of that, Hollywood decided very quickly that he was a leading man. He was a jock, he was an asshole, those are the roles they wanted him to play, and as he was told, all of that meant that he could not be gay. So back into the closet he went. This is something that I didn't know about Colton before reading his book. I didn't know that growing up, he was an out, proud, loudly gay teenager, and all that had to change when he started acting. He's best known today for having been on hit shows like Teen Wolf and Arrow. Now, when Colton moved to LA, this was 2007, and things were very different for queer people, in Hollywood, and just the world in general. A lot has changed since then, but as Colton points out, necessarily, in many ways we still are very much stuck. Colton joins us today to talk about that. We also talk about how discovering that he was attractive when he was 13 colored the rest of his life, and we talk about his new memoir that's called Miss Memory Lane and it's out now. From The Advocate Magazine, in partnership with GLAAD, I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is LGBTQ&A. One of the most interesting parts of the book and your story is that, to me, so many people have an internalized shame and stigma around being gay, and growing up, you did not. You were out in high school, you took your boyfriend to prom, you were a go-go dancer at a gay bar, and it was only the industry that then forced you back in the closet, not like your shame or other issues. I am I mischaracterizing that? I think it's a mixture. I think I had learned shame through this industry. You know, I was told I had to match my mannerisms and things that I needed to do to be what was, I guess, what people wanted in Hollywood. You know, I my face is, they wanted my... I guess my mannerisms to match my douchey haircut and my jaw. So yeah, I definitely had to kind of lock all that back up. And it was really damaging to me because, you know, I, I still to this day, like I find myself longing to be that kind of free, you know, kid who, who could be wholly anonymous. And, you know, I'm not definitely very fortunate to be getting to be in this industry, but it's, it's hard still for me because I still miss how things were before I moved to, to LA because you were in the closet for like the very majority of your career, we should say, like you missed out on like building like queer community, like with other Hollywood people. Yeah, that was something that kind of was, I guess still is kind of hard for me because, you know, I was at the time, one of the only queer people, which I wasn't out, who was able to really kind of exist around, you know, in Hollywood. And then basically I was projecting this I basically was telling everyone that, you know, you can be gay. Even after I came out, you can be gay, but you have to be exactly like, your mannerisms have to be on mute. You you have to still be guarded and still play that availability game. And also you have to basically be straight acting and you have to be white essentially. And that's the, that's the problem with this industry. Now there is a lot of representation. It's, we still have a long way to go. I mean, also though, I mean, you mentioned your face, which is like, it's so funny to like have a conversation about someone's face, but it all goes back to, in my opinion, like how you look, because you look like a leading man, you like, quote unquote, couldn't be gay. Whereas like your story would be different if you're playing like the goofy sidekick, right? And that's the thing is I, that's my personality. It's weird that you should be able to act. I mean, that's, that's really what this industry is. I, I'm an actor, but for some reason, I don't really get taken seriously for things that I, that I'm capable of doing. Because, you know, a lot of times people are just more interested in my personal life. 
that's also fine. You know, I, I do deliver that kind of on a platter for people to, you know, pick and choose what they what they want for their hors d'oeuvre, I guess. But it's hard because once I realized that, you know, my only currency would be my physical, you know, beauty, I kind of, that's the only thing I had to use to try to showcase who I am. And, you know, a lot of times that's not the best precursor to really showing the best of yourself because a lot of times people won't listen to what I'm saying. And it's hard because if they cast me as the sidekick, then my look is too threatening against the lead. So, you know, these, the only auditions I get now are to play the gay best friend or the gay dad. But also you named two gay stereotypes. Like, are you only now seen in Hollywood as a gay, can only play gay roles? Oh yeah. It's basically, it's, if there's a character that's like gay, alcoholic, flop, if there's all these things that kind of sum up, it's basically like, I don't even need to open my email when I do get an audition because I know it's going to be, I have no problem, obviously, with playing any role. I just never played a gay role up until I, I came out because, you know, after I came out, my character became gay and Teen Wolf. It was confusing for me because I, I don't want to say like beat now other straight actors for these roles, but, you know, I played straight roles my whole career. I mean, the, the role that you had on Arrow was a very, like, big competitive role that a lot of guys in Hollywood wanted. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, you basically become a stereotype. You know, it's almost this feeling of the audience speculated that I was gay. And it's like, they don't want to be told that they're right. If I would have continued to be in the closet, I, I can't really say that I would be here today. And so I think that that's why it was so important for me to come out. If I have to be, you know carting my trauma stories around for people to kind of, I don't know. It definitely is a very disheartening thing, but at the same time, it's like, I've been doing this for almost 20 years. Like, I, I'm still going to continue to do what I love. And at the same time, this is something that now I love because I get to help people. And like, I'm, I'm not, I, I, we were talking before we started recording about how I'm terrible at small talk because I am now allergic to fake because I've been so fake this whole time. And now I just love like getting to, you know, really the heart of situations. And I played the game for 20 years. And now, you know, I'm going to continue to just be me now. And one of those things you wrote about when you got to Hollywood, you, I think, like, literally had classes to, like, make your mannerisms, like, less gay, and, like, the way you spoke less gay. Are you still, like, hyper aware of those things today? Oh, 100%. And I think that, you know, uh, we call it Instagram Colton, which is my friends say. And it's, if you really think about it, you know, when I was having to be, like, bearded in a way, how hard it was for my friends or people who were around me in my cast to have to like conceal my secret and also to watch friends, you know, my closest friends see whenever I have interactions with people, I still do find myself trying to be like, I don't know, trying to like be what people want me to be and, you know, try to uh, lower my voice an octave. And it's something I'm still working on. You know, I definitely, it's, it's something I don't know if that'll ever go away, but at the same time I have newfound bigger percentage of love for myself than I did before. And in the book, you write that it was when you turned 13 that you suddenly realized that you were attractive, that people saw you as attractive. What happened or changed at 13 that made you realize that? Well, you know, I say that like puberty hit me like a truck and it, and it really was like, everyone always says I look like Harry Potter when I was like a kid. And then I kind of, it was like over the summer, I grew my hair out. I had that like Zac Efron kind of swoopy thing from High School Musical. And then I felt like I was being seen for the first time. And also it was like, by that time, I mean, once people read the book, I had been involved in kind of some, you know, a lot of sexual trauma at that time. And so once I realized that, whoa, like people are 
people are now inviting me to the tape, like to their cool table. But even then it's like, then I'm like, okay, I was a very feminine kid, but I, I also played sports to try to like get love from my dad. And that didn't fucking work. I just kind of had to be whatever you wanted me to be. Therefore, I never really truly, I still am trying to figure out who the fuck I am because I've had to be so many different things for so many people and never actually be anything for myself. That's something that I think is the constant struggle for me because, you know, now I'm kind of tend to be a hermit and not really know which, which version of myself I'm going to get today. It's all a process. <laughs> and then for work, you're like trying to be different versions, like for on screen for roles. Yeah, it's so tricky. But I think it's also like when I was at school, everyone else in school was trying to plan like, you know, whose house they were going to go to for like their sleepover on Friday. And I was basically having to plan like who I was going to manipulate to like find a place where I was going to sleep. And with a lot of these early sexual experiences that you had, they were with older men. You write that when you lost your virginity, you were 14 and the guy was 42. It's like kind of complicated in that you pursued him, but it's not complicated in that, you know, you were not of a legal age to give consent. That's like the legal definition of rape. For you, though, this is somebody who you saw often. When did you stop viewing that as a relationship in your mind and as like you being taken advantage of by an adult? Not until I was an adult, essentially. It's a complicated thing. And, you know, it, it had been years. I had basically been trying to get this man to sleep with me. It happened when I was 14. By 12 or 13, I'm like fantasizing about this man. But really, now I know that I was just wanting the love that my father never gave me. And so then I was constantly seeking that. You know, I now know that I'm not the aggressor. I mean, it just stood out to me because... After you came out, it didn't go well. You left home. I mean, before you end up in a children's home for a bit and going through your sister, you were crashing with men. And so, like, the unfortunate part was, like, you then had... You were staying with men, and, like, it was impli or, um, implied that you would sleep with them for, like, a roof over your head. Like, to me, that's just kind of, like, survival sex work, too. Like, there was the, the need was there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I knew that providing that for them would still... I would It would get something for me. And you're, you're, you're exact. You're really right. And I was a vortex, I guess you could say. I really, me and my brother are basically mirroring our parents. My brother me, being my dad and me being my mom, my mom's aura was like addicting, not just like for other men in like a sexual way, but like every time she was around, she just like really was this light. I didn't get to see that light a lot because she was struggling through something. And you know, it wasn't until I went through the same thing that I realized that. So the apple never fell far from the tree because I did everything and acted exactly like my mom. And so all this sex, sexual desire, sex itself at such a young age, how did that shape your view and, and experience of sex like now as an adult? I basically, and I say basically that sex was never a, an act of love for me. And, you know, it was really just a way to, it was a tool that I used to survive and to get what I want. I don't have a very healthy relationship with it now. It's not something that I, I don't have this, it doesn't make me excited or happy when someone is really just interested in the way that I look. And I think that that's kind of, yeah, it's very off-putting for me. And so it's not like, and also like, I didn't build that Rolodex of people that I could have fun with, or like, I can't go out, I can go out to clubs. I don't because I'm uncomfortable because you know, I'm doing a meet and greet. And I, I tried to go out in, in Atlanta. And I was just like, fuck. I, I'm very, very thankful people come up to me. But it's definitely, it's disheartening walking into a bar and people start the whispers like, oh, you know, look at that. 
Before we move off of the like early sex stuff, if you don't mind, one of the jobs you had, maybe when you were first, was you were dancing as a go-go boy at a gay club. You were 14, used a stolen ID to get that job. What did you learn about being gay in gay culture doing that? It was the biggest rush that I could have ever experienced. Those memories are some of my favorite memories because I got to see I got to see other people who I who basically had that same light as me. And like I don't really think there were a lot of other gay kids in my school, at least that I had known. And I grew up in a town of like six hundred people. And so the whole high school was a hundred people or something. It really is that it was that magical kind of thing for me. And it wasn't right that I slept with a guy or like blew a guy and stole his fake ID and then went to go work for tips under the table as a go-go boy. But I don't know, I'd never experienced that before. And, and in my head, as we all do, we think we're an old soul. And I, I always felt like I grew up, I'll speak for myself, I always felt like I just grew up very fast. Um, but with that, I started seeking attention I didn't feel that I, I had gotten enough of from my parents. And then I started using my body to get that. And so now, you know, looking back, I think that is a lot of the reason why I grew to hate my body, because it, it doesn't feel like mine. It feels like everyone else's. So it's a lot of times that's why I treat myself so badly. And like, ironically, you've gone into like only careers that like focus on your body. Go-go dancing, modeling, acting. It's like always on display. And that's the thing is for me, I never, I don't walk around being like, you know, having really a lot of confidence at all, except for when I'm doing like modeling for me, the modeling world was an art form and such a passion for me because I'm obsessed with photo like photographer's work and obsessed with the whole process of it. And when I would look at myself in a photograph, that's the person I would want to be. And so still to this day, like people, if it's a photo shoot, I'm like, they're like, you're shooting, I don't know, let's, I used to shoot for Ross for the catalog and uh, I shoot for everything. I used to shoot for a bunch of stuff, but I would choose like the Ross catalog over like a big booking just because like for some reason it's just like over like acting jobs because I love that world. It's an art to me, but it's definitely still not really helpful for me because people always you know say that I'm like complaining or like it's that, oh, like pity me because I'm pretty, but I'm like, no, I'm adding a lot more to this behind this that is not just that, but I still, I think we all still, it feels good to feel beautiful or to feel wanted, but making that your, your entire existence is pretty tricky. I mean, reading the book, it made me think a lot about, like, at least for me, like how much like the Me Too movement changed how I thought about consent and like sexual assault especially in the gay community just like with their go-go dancing too like in gay bars like unwanted touching was just like we grew up and that was just like accepted as like an annoyance and how like life was right and now we have like a language to say like oh we don't have to put up with that when you were dancing did you feel like men just thought that they had permission to touch your entire like body at the time i thought that that meant that at the time i didn't that's kind of what i was wanting after unpacking all that, I realized, you know, that's not, that was wrong. The way that you act and the way that you kind of carry yourself and if people have confidence or are having to put on confidence to try to get through like situations like that, people back in the day just thought you were asking for it. What I really want people to, I always like want people to read it because I want them to get to that like kind of spiral towards the end where I, the one where I'm saying like I was drunk and I keep repeating that. And I talk about, I have a couple lines about some experiences that I had about kind of being forced to do things in the, in the kind of back room 
I, I, I didn't see myself as a kid because at that point I, I had lived so much life and I wanted so bad to be an adult and to be treated like an adult because I'd been doing everything that the adults around me didn't do for me. And so I hated that I was being seen as a kid. Well, all your life you wanted that and you wanted, you know, attention, like positive attention and to get out of your small town. And to be honest, I couldn't tell reading your book if you liked acting because it gave you those things like a way out or if you actually enjoyed acting itself. Hmm. I enjoyed it. I, I loved when I started, I, I loved doing theater. I loved it when it was about what I was capable of doing instead of every time I got something, it was attached to the way that I looked. Getting into this industry with, without having any idea what it can do to, to your, your confidence and your self-esteem and you know, your mental health. Luckily, I've you know, gotten to work with people who have been in, like, the experience I had with like, when I worked on Rough Night, working with Paul and Lucia, who now are winning awards for Hacks, my favorite, one of my freaking favorite shows. They, I've never worked with a group of people from the top down I was supposed to be in like one, a couple days of that movie. And they kept adding me in. I got to be there for like two months. I've never felt more important. I never felt more like creatively fulfilled. Yeah, I was playing a stripper who was like, you know, like all these things. But they saw, they saw, they thought I was funny and they kept having me do things. And I felt included. And I think that that's been something that's really missing that I'm seeking out now. And so when it comes to like me liking acting or not, you know, you can give me a, a five page, you can give me five pages, I can memorize it in five minutes. And if you need me to cry on cue, I can cry on cue. But no one wants to let me showcase what I can do. And, you know, I'm able to put a lot of my life into a lot of my roles. And, you know, I tend to try to add like tears and a lot of my arrow roles to make it more complicated. But at, at this point, I'm just going to have to continue creating and, and doing things for myself until until other opportunities can come. And that's, Something that I'm happy that I still have is that drive and still have that that thing of if no one's going to help me out, I'm going to help myself. With, with the addiction, when you wrote about, I was surprised and impressed by like the quantity of alcohol, frankly, like at points like waking up in the morning and it was your first like drink of the day it was like alcohol, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was drinking sometimes like easily a bottle. It was really gearing towards like a bottle and a half of like tequila a day. So were you like going to set and doing your like job drunk? Only the last, it had never crossed over to that until literally until when I went back to do those last things on, on Arrow. I'd never done it prior to that. And, and really a lot of my, it really was just around the time that my mom died. Everyone just thought that I was gaining all this weight, you know, because I was, you know, depressed, but I, I was imploding and I was, you know, hyper aware of what people were saying with my appearance changing and things like that really changed my appearance and fueled me till you know end up in the hospital i mean it was not the point but i was like oh my god how did colton like maintain a body and not have a bloated face and like drinking that much but i guess to your point like you said you didn't well i did my appearance did change it definitely did i posted this video of me in the hospital I'm, you know, I'm 5'9", five, 5'10", five, and I went from being, I gained like almost 70 pounds, 60, 65 pounds, and then it's very apparent. You can clearly tell that there's something go going on because I was in a spiral. And so 
when I felt that I had lost basically what people wanted, in a way I felt free, but I felt like, fuck, if I, I spent, if my only currency is in the way that I look and now no one wants me anymore, I've just felt completely useless. We, we just were talking about like how like you were saying that like people like you because your appearance, like because they like want to have sex with you and like you like kind of, you were saying like maybe like the first or maybe sometimes the only thing they like see or know about you. So I just wondered if like gaining weight and like removing that, like how that would like change if for the better, like your life. It didn't. I definitely, it was, it's harmful what people say online. I think a lot of people just think that they're people who are on TV or in this industry just like don't know what's going on. And I'm like, you know, you putting the fucking couple asterisks in my name, asterisks in my name is not going to stop me from searching on Twitter on the search bar to see all the bullshit that some of y'all are saying about me. I still, you know, I, I tend to sometimes focus on the weeds other than like, you know, the flowers. I'm not sure. I don't really know that full quote, but what I'm trying my hardest to do now in life and now, especially with this book is focus on the people, focus on the light instead of like crawling back into the darkness. One thing I was wondering though, is about how much the, you know, we talk about representation, how much has changed recently in the industry for queer people. But I also wonder like how much has changed. For example, if somebody was starting out today and like had leading man looks like you, like, would you recommend that they keep their sexuality like under wraps? Oh gosh, I think that is something I, it's all, it's all a personal journey. It, we still, to this day, we can't name one leading male romantic lead actor. You know, there's not a gay Brad Pitt. There's not, there's not a, there's not one. Maybe, maybe there's one or two. I mean, you played a Superman. There's not a lot of queer people playing super people or superheroes. No, there's not. The, the perception of your public perception does play in, especially if you are queer to your place in this industry but the queer stories that are being told they're being told just enough to where the viewer it's for the viewer and it's not for the community there's a lot of real things that happen and a lot of real conversations that consumers are not ready for and also studios are really not interested in i mean let's just be honest i think you know they they don't think that gay equates to dollars but realistically they couldn't be more wrong and i think it's funny to watch that just to slowly watch the the house burn, it really to watch these people not believe in you know the queer community and just to watch all of the change that I think the community is making and is pushing basically you know just pushing so many things forward and people are finally starting to realize yeah that being queer in you know our community is so strong and the things that all of us have had to go through to endure and be a part of this. It's just, it's really inspiring. We still have a long fucking way to go. And I think once that system kind of burns, then hopefully that'll continue. You know, because there's not a lot of room for us in this industry. I think we're making room. Thank you for making time to talk today. This was fantastic. I really, this was such a great conversation. Like I love whenever I'm talking to someone and they feel real and it feels like we're sitting on the fucking couch talking. I appreciate you for having me. And that was Colton Haynes. His new memoir, Miss Memory Lane, is out right now. And then next week, we're back with someone who is an icon of the American stage. Here's a clip. I would say, prior to Town, I played the magical Negro. I have no regrets about that. But that was the mold out of which I was creating a career. But all the while, 
and this is going to sound corny, but it's true, all the while I'm saying, why doesn't someone cast me for my mind, for my intellect? Am I really just another pretty face? <laughs> and it came together in Hadestown. Now that was the 76-year-old Andre De Shields. He won a Tony Award in 2019 for his role in Hadestown, and that full interview with Andre will be out next week. Until then, if you're enjoying our interviews, please help us to spread the word by texting a friend or posting on social media. Those really are the biggest ways you can help our show continue to grow. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everyone who does that. We're brought to you by The Advocate Magazine in partnership with Glad. I'm Jeffrey Masters. I will see you next week. Bye.